Welcome to Feel Your Impact, a podcast built to go behind the scenes of the responsible apparel movement. I'm Mel Lay, joined by my co-host, Ryan Moore. Our goal and why of this series is to both educate and further a conversation about how we as makers and consumers can have a greater impact on the people and planet behind the scenes of apparel. Most of us get a choice of what we sell, make, buy, and wear every day. Our hope through learning and improvement, we can all make better choices for a better tomorrow. Are you ready to feel your impact? All right, welcome to this week's episode. This week we're here with Aaron Moore, the co-owner of Barrel Maker Printing and an all-made founder, as well as Dominic Razashi, who is the founder and uh, owner of Superior Inc. as well as an all-made founder. So excited to have some cool conversations with them from a friendly perspective here with Mel as well. Yeah, we're super excited to have you guys. It's fun to chat with friends and founders and we all go way back to starting All Made. So excited to yeah, have our listeners learn a little bit more about you guys and your businesses. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to see you. Yeah, I can't wait. Super excited. Okay, so just real quick before we dive into some questions today, we're going to be talking about eco-friendly screen printing and eco-friendly apparel and kind of both of your journeys as screen printers into a world where we make a better impact on the environment. But before we do that, what are the first memories of each other, of all, all of us, as we have all met each other over the past 10 years or so? So very first memories from you of the two of us. Why don't you start, Erin? Um, hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to start with Ryan because I think I met Ryan first. I think that was, I mean, we had started, just started Barrel Maker. So it's probably like 2010, maybe 2010 or 2011. Um, and it was at um, the SGIA show in Chicago and we went to the Ryanette um, specialty printing um, like demo. It was ASI show, right? Yes, sorry, ASI, yes. Down in a basement. Yes, in a basement, (laughs) yes. And we had been watching Ryan on YouTube, you know. So it was like, um, I like to call Ryan the uh, Tila Tequila of screen printing. So (laughs) so we were kind of like a little bit starstruck. And I remember being like to uh, Justin, my husband, I remember just being like, he's so tall. Like I didn't think he was that tall on (laughs) the computer screen. Um, But yeah, we introduced ourselves and that's where we met Ryan. Um, And then- um, I remember that. That was a ghetto, we had a ghetto setup. We literally, me and Nick Wood took a bunch of stuff down this basement at a promotional product show. The ASI show has nothing to do with screen printing. We're like, we're gonna sling some ink in the show. And you, you two were by far the coolest people there. Everyone else was like, yeah what yeah. are you doing <laughs> yeah i remember there was a lot of questions about white plastisol <laughs> 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 uh, but but yeah that was i mean it was fun that's where we met nick wood for the first time too who's a um former ryanet employee and a good friend of ours so it was a very like um looking back it was like a landmark in the screen printing journey <laughs> for sure um yeah, but so that was cool. We we had a nice long chat there, and then I think from that point forward, we felt like a lot um, just drawn into the Ryanet community as we went along. Like just you know, I think just a lot more calls on press calls. Like why isn't this working? Probably, <laughs> um, and definitely supported us through our journey. Um, let's see. I don't know about you, Dom. I don't even know. I don't even know if we've met officially even today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
remember. I remember your husband calling me really toothy whenever I would smile, and I like <laughs> didn't know if it was a compliment or a diss. But then I've been rolling with it. As far as Mel goes, uh, I don't remember when we first met, but I remember Dan being out <laughs> in and like hit him, like his face swelled up like a grapefruit because I think he ate like papaya or a mango or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the backstory about that first trip to Haiti, and I remember, well, Aaron wasn't on this trip, unfortunately, because Aaron was pregnant on the very first founder's trip, has since later gone for our listeners um, and experienced the whole factory and everything, but um, Dom is referring to my husband who came with me on the first trip, and he, um, apparently baby mangoes are very poisonous, almost like poison oak, and so he was playing with a little orphan girl, and it got in his eye, and literally the rest of the week, he looked like... Like his entire, we might need to put like a we're gonna, picture. We're gonna put pictures of it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like boils on his face. But I do remember the first time I met you, Don, because you brought like your crew with you. Like, and your crew is like very like um, a punk rock looking or and not punk rock is the right word, just like skater, you know. And so you guys yeah. were like filming. And I remember being like, you know, it's Haiti, it's a little different. And you guys would just go off in the alleys and like start filming random stuff. And I'd be like, are they allowed to do that? Do they have a security guard? Are they going to like, are they going to make it back? And then since then you've been, how many times have you been to Haiti since then? I think, I think like seven, six or seven, something like that. He's the world record holder. I mean, the all made record holder. Well, you just get gravitated towards it. You know, it was awesome. Real quick, back to Dan, because one more thing. The best part of the Dan story was like, his face was so huge, and like he'd always be like, "Oh no, I'm good. Like I'm totally fine." And we we're all like, "Damn, you're not fine. We need to go to the Haitian doctor." But I, oh. I, I just love guys as a couple, and it was it was super fun. We as went straight from Ryan, the airport to the um, ER. Did you really? Yes, <laughs> straight to the ER. They gave him a like a big shot that was like thick, so when they pushed it, it was like oh. a super slow like. In his thighs. Nah. Anyways, we can move on from oils. We can move Love on. you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, the first time I met, not the first time I met Ryan, but the most memorable was the, the Guru Open 50-foot putt challenge. Right? Is that the first time that we really hung out? I, I think I'd been to your shop, and then you'd, you'd come to Texas, and decided to rock and then I invited you to that open I think I can't remember but you always seem like a really cool guy to hang out with somebody that somebody I want to be like when I grow up <laughs> yeah I remember when we got our first rock installed um the the tech was like have you guys met Dom like have you been to Superior Inc and we were like no who's that like oh you you should really meet Dom you would like Dom, like, like definitely like, like Superior Inc has like a, you know, you hear about them before you meet them. <laughs> have a reputation. Was that Buck that said that? Yeah, Buck. Yeah, that must have been before we called him like 30 times a day. <laughs> yeah. Now he would never tell anybody yeah, that. No way. Like, yeah, Dom sucks. And I beat him in bowling and he's super professional bowler. He was bummed. <laughs> Buck just texted me, by the way, this shirt that he found says when people get around screen printing, they get stupid. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. <laughs> Very accurate. 
I want to know, because there's some, I, we have questions that I don't even know about you guys. So I'm really excited to learn a little bit more. But um, one of our first questions is, when did you first start thinking about your business's environmental impact? And Aaron, I'll start with you, um, because it, so was, were you guys starting to think about sustainability and in these, you know, kind of buzzwords, eco-friendly prior to All Made and this, you know, start to create a sustainable t-shirt? Was this already a part of practice in Barrel Maker? Barrel Maker uh, originally actually was Barrel Maker Clothing Company, and um, it, it happened because I, uh, I wanted to start a brand of baby clothes um, that took like adult clothes and made baby clothes off them. Like I wanted to start an upcycled um, brand for, for children and babies because we, we had just had our, uh, Justin and I had just had our first son. So I started doing that. I started thrifting um, like men's um, dress shirts and sewing dresses out of them for little girls, kind of like, you know, turning around and just making dresses out of, out of it. And we had, you know, some photo shoots and we had started to sell them a little bit. And then we decided to start designing t-shirts to kind of go along with this other thing that I had going on. We started screen printing the t-shirts, but that's why the, that's where the name Barrel Maker actually comes from is it was called Barrel Maker Clothing Company, um, named after our son Cooper. Um, because somebody who makes barrels is by their trade's name is a cooper. Oh, so, cool. I never knew that. Yeah, that's super I rad. Always, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so. I always wondered why you made barrels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it, well, it was, it's a really, you know, I thought it was a cute name for like a kid's clothing line. Um, and it's a really strange name for a screen printing shop, but it just kind of like evolved, you know, uh, the screen printing, like, you know, even to, it kind of, I don't know, screen printing has a way of just kind of consuming you. Um, at least it did for me. Like when I started screen printing the shirts, it was like, all right, I'll, now I have to stand at a press for the next 12 hours until like I get it right. Um, so when I started doing that, and, and then, you know, literally we did it in our, in our apartment in Chicago. We had windows facing out to the street. And we even got like some employees because they walked by and saw me screen printing like late at night and like knocked on our window. And we're like, hey, can we come in inside your apartment see your screen printing setup? Um, so once, you, once we started screen printing, it was kind of like everybody wanted us to print stuff for them. So, um, so it kind of went on a different path. But to go back to the question, sorry, rambling. Um, so we did kind of have a sustainability piece uh, originally. Um, and then as far as like how to build that into like your processes um, on press and, and how to like build that into your business model and also your, the personality of your business always kind of, um, it always concerned us. And we've made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, you learn as you go along. Um, and, you know, we still are working to make our shop, you know, sustainable today. Um, but we certainly um, try to encourage, have an eye for it, or have a have a, I guess, a trajectory that way. Um, so, so yeah, that's us. Dom, you would, I can't remember. Did you talk to me about going eco friendly or trying to be more eco friendly before All Made, or was that after All Made? It was before All Made, and the reason that I did that is uh, a couple years. I never told this story. I've told half of the story but a few years before that I went, to, uh, I went to Portsmouth New Hampshire 
and I visited the screen print shop. They were the dudes that coined the shirt, I'm with Stupid, with the arrow pointing. And so, like, I was talking to this guy, and, and he, he, was, he was printing by hand, and I looked, like, he moved to go get some water, and I looked at where his feet were, and there was, like, indentations on the floor from him standing there for 30 years, like, printing shirts. And I was like, dude, I hope that I'm not this guy when I'm 60. <laughs> and that, that was, like kind of the jump off point of how do you kind of change the game and the industry that you're in. But in terms of sustainability, it's just a matter of like watching David Attenborough talking about, you know, all the, the things wrong with the planet and not having a, a, a foundation to help and then learning to stay within your domain and just focus on the things that you have the ability to change. And the only thing that I knew because I, I left high school and started printing shirts and that's like the only thing that I know. So I was like, man, if I could just make small changes and inspire people within our industry to do better, then that's my way of making the biggest impact. You know, I'm not going to be a politician and I'm not going to change laws, but I can change the way a shirt's made. And so that was kind of the jump off point. And then I, I called Ryan asking if I could melt plastic and make my own squeegees and like all this like just weird ideas and he's like i don't know that's i don't know but i'm going <laughs> to haiti and uh i'm going in six months i'm bringing my family out there to to look at a sustainably made t-shirt and i was like just, i was just stoked so after that um i was pretty much hooked i think he was he was yeah i'll let you take it from there but that was my first introduction into like, oh, this is a viable way to like make an impact in our industry. Cool to hear from your story, Aaron, like upcycling and how that you actually started Barrel Maker with that. What are some of the other things that you've done initially in your businesses besides using a eco-friendly shirt to be more sustainable? Um, well, for us, we went through this certification with the city of Denver that was probably the best thing to guide the whole process because they take it from a outside of the industry perspective. So rather than just the chemicals and the inks and assessing things within our own industry, they took a stance of, of like, you need to replace your lighting and you need to recycle, you know, all of these different things and you need to evaluate a lot of stuff from the ground up. And so that was a really good um, kind of like testament to what we were doing right and what we were doing wrong. Um, so that's kind of where we, that's what, what culminated the idea of trying to clean things up for us. That's awesome. Uh, oh, it's my turn. Um, <laughs> what about you, Eric? I was thinking about what Dom was saying and then I was like, oh yeah, it's my turn to talk. Um, <laughs> so I think that, um, in, in our shop and certainly like with myself, um, I take a really like personal approach to all of this stuff. Um, so um, I try to encourage people to just like, um, like if you're gonna throw something away, uh, like question that again. Like, um, and t-shirt waste was always something that I felt like uh, kind of like very heavy um, on the whole industry, like kind of from the beginning. Um, you know, you can, so many t-shirts are scrapped in the process of printing, um, and, and so much is produced, you know, 
Um, and, and in our shop, you know, of course, you take the T-shirt, you, you cut it up, you use it as rags, you print all over it, you, you know, you use it till it's, you know, it's the last possible worth, but then what do you do, right? What do you do? You, you throw it away, right? And I think most people do that because there's, there's you know, um, recycling textiles is not even available um, in some places of the country. So, so, so that always kind of, I don't know, it was always, it's always like in the back of your mind, like the, at least for me, like the waste you're creating, like there's a tally there. Um, so, so looking, looking at your business as, um, you know, something that's leaving things behind, you know, whether you want it to or not. Um, and, and owning that is really, it's really important. Uh, and, and, you know, the, if people say like you vote with your dollars, um, and that, that's true on an individual level, but so does a business. And if, um, if businesses can kind of make, you know, smart, environmental, sustainable financial decisions, um, then that makes, you know, an even larger, a larger kind of sway in that direction. So um, kind of like looking at it that way too, like I, I'm making a decision on where we put our money, what products we buy and, you know, how we, you know, where we put our money to run our shop sustainably, but we're also making a decision on the other end of what our shop, you know, leaves behind as it kind of like spins through the world. Um, so, you know, being really conscious and kind of like addressing that list, you know, what, what's, the, what's the waste that we're producing and how can we stop? You know, how, how do we make that smaller? How do you so, guys? It's oh, an go ahead. process, you know, so. Oh, yeah. For sure. How do you guys feel? How do you feel about how, how um, you first, so first you started with your business, kind of changing some things, making printing what you know well, more sustainable. Um, how did that transfer into your personal life? Because for me, um, when we went to Honduras last December to check out the factories, we like went up on their rooftop and saw their sea of solar panel and so, um, so solar panels. And so I, came home and I told my husband about it, Dan, talking about Dan again, he's like, got to listen to this episode, I guess. But he started researching it and we live in Oregon, which it's like very readily available to get solar. And it was super easy and legitimately like pretty much free. Like I, my electricity bill is, was more than what I pay for my solar panels. And our house has all solar now. And it was within like a month. It was so easy to get. And it was like one simple thing that I knew like, hey, they were doing that right at our factory in Honduras. And I could do that too in my personal life. So what are some examples you guys have done? Because I know both of you are, are living what you are preaching. And so give us a little insight into that. I've, I've always been like, sorry, Aaron. I've, I've always been like super aggro about um, that from the time that I was a kid, not from like a sustainable standpoint, but I would just get stressed out if the lights were on because I felt like bad for the light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so it's been like an easy process as an adult because obviously you you are aware that you're not just like technology doesn't have feelings, you know. But it's just it's just been kind of a part of me as a human. So in, in terms of you know, doing it on a personal level and then also inspiring other people in the organization to do it, you kind of piggyback off of each other. And so when one person makes an effort, then you kind of talk about it, you adopt it as a person. And it's kind of like a little inspiring chain that goes down. 
And, you know, one of the cool stories early on that, that I told a while ago is, you know, recycling at your house. And then, you know, you have other members of the team here that are like, man, I had to get two recycling bins. I had to like up my recycling because it's 70% of my waste, you know, like that was all getting thrown away. And so once you start doing these little tiny things, it's almost like addicting because you're like, oh, well, how much more of an impact can I make? You know, you know, we don't want to like be minimalists to the, to an extreme, but there's definitely patterns that you can break and start adopting new policies. And then, um, you know, it gets exciting. It's almost like you're challenging yourself just by small stuff like recycling and less consumption, you know, with clothing and consumerism and, um, just the small things add up to a lot and you start realizing that the more and more you, you know, that's such a, that's such an important perspective um, to speak, right. To like speak out into the world, just that like you don't have to be perfect. Um, Cause I think people become overwhelmed, you know, by the idea of like environmentalism or sustainability or like, Oh, I have to like change my life or I'm not going to be like good enough. And, like there is a little bit of like, um, I, I don't know, I would say a little bit of, a, of an impression even that like um, environmentalists can make on people who are not like living that way yet. And I think it's important to say like, hey, it's okay, just, just change what you can, right? Like, like low hanging fruit, like start with what you can do. Um, and then, that, then the next thing and then the next thing, you know, and just, just try to like, um, think more carefully and that, and that's, you know, just, just awareness, just becoming aware and saying like, it's just small steps. Like we're all going to take small steps, um, together. I think it's, it's, it's like how it's an important place for the kind of whole community of people to, to, to kind of sit in acceptance and, and still be able to work on, on who they are. I don't know. I started composting uh, this year and it's been like um, awesome. Like when the, in quarantine and all of that, I kind of start, have been able to use my compost and I made like this big, beautiful garden. Nice. <laughs> it's been really exciting. That's uh, awesome. forced to stay home. <laughs> it's been really cool. But um, it, it also just like, you know, um, you start to think that the things that, you know, the, the animals and stuff live in your yard are living their whole lives there, you know, like they're not leaving your yard and like just that being outside and looking at all the like things that like live around me kind of in inspired me to, you know, I don't know. I just think it's kind of a beautiful thought. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of people and you know, your, your responsibilities is, is what you're saying. Like we can all take small steps when we were first went to Haiti, one of the things that really stood out to me was the what we what people can do to the environment in a, both a positive but also a negative thing uh, way. So when what was when you first went to Haiti, what were your um, how did that change your perception on humanity's impact on the environment? Dude, I used to be so wigged out by like going camping and throwing like a plastic bottle in the fire because you hear how bad it is, but like that's the norm there. Like you realize that there's a lot of other countries that don't have the ability to like adopt sustainability. It's almost a luxury. And that's when you realize how much of a global scale, like, you know, things are, have gone awry and, and it makes you start thinking a lot deeper. I mean, it doesn't, it shouldn't deter you from like 
adopting responsibility back home because you still shouldn't throw a plastic bottle on the campfire, but you just got to realize like things are going, things are kind of out of control on a massive level and people don't have the ability to, to change the way that they're doing it because trash is such a problem there. They don't have like a good efficient, you know, system to solve that problem. So you're just going to burn the trash and you can't blame people for doing that if they don't have a better solution, but it does make you rethink, you know, the importance of, countries that do have the ability to, to do things the right way to really do it, to make up for, you know, scenarios that don't have that ability. But that was the craziest thing to me is it's just, it's, it's almost unfathomable until you actually see it. Um, it's, it's so ironic that you said that it's a, a luxury for some countries um, because last week we were speaking with Chad from Reprieve and he said the United States only recycles 30%, right? compared to other countries like China that are in their 80%. So like United States makes a, or we make a, a choice here to not recycle as much as we could, where a country like Haiti, you know, can't really make that decision. They don't have the infrastructure to make it happen. But then a country like Germany, I think was one of them, they said like 85. 90, 90, over 90, 90%, yeah. yeah. And it's just so insane because it's like we're one of the richest countries in the world and yet we still – are not doing our job properly. So it's we're the way, most wasteful. Yeah, we're comparatively wasteful. to our resource base, for That'd sure. Crazy. But what about you, Aaron? Uh, I don't know. I, I think um, that we're, it goes back to that impact. Like your actions are having an impact, whether you're paying or paying attention to it or not. Like whether you um, are being, you know, mindful of the impact or not mindful of the impact, like it still exists. So, you know, you know, and it and other people are taking, you know, other people that are we share our planet with are kind of taking that toll, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely was acutely aware of my privilege in Haiti. Um, just you know you know, the po poverty is just so visual there. It's so tangible. Um, and I, you know, I'm fortunate that I'd never seen that kind of poverty firsthand. Um, so it was definitely, um, you know, it was, a, and it was important for me to see it and to, to not look away and, and to, you know, and to realize, you know, how, how privileged we are to just even live in a first world country, you know, and that, that I didn't, I didn't earn, you know, the infrastructure that America or whatever has, like, we're just born here, right? It's not something that we're, you know, we're just all thrown into circumstances and, you know, that we are living in and that we're, we're dealing in. Um, and, and, perhaps because it was new to me and because I'd never seen poverty like that, I was also really struck by this, like the, the kind of like um, vibration of, of Haiti and the color and the just kind of the energy of the place has so much like joy and um, I don't know, just, just so much almost like excitement in it. Like, um, and it was, it was amazing, you know, to, to see people almost thriving you know, even though they were, you know, living in poverty. Um, so it, it definitely, it changed my perspective, like, um, tremendously, just like my global perspective. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the thing that I first remember getting off the plane my first trip was the burning trash, like Don mentioned, just the smell of burning plastic. And now that that smell is, I mean, my neighbor was burning some plastic, like he'd probably put one thing in his, I was like, who's burning plastic around here? Like you smell it like immediately, like now it's like forever ingrained in my nostrils. So disgusting. But then really after being there so many times, seeing how everything in the world right now is a, is a circle and that shit flows downhill. So we think we're buying something for cheap in, from a country like Haiti, um, because in whose cost of that is who's not making enough money or not getting enough work to really fund their economy, to be able to clean up their environment. But this, the flip side of like the biggest thing for me was like the, the clothing that was actually, that comes out. I, I remember seeing, I still remember like we have lots of pictures of it. The riverbeds, like they're aligned with clothing, like just literally shreds of clothing and fabric coming out of the riverbeds because of all the stuff that we are quote unquote donating uh, to Goodwill or whatever ends up going to these countries. And there's tons of documentaries on it, like millions and millions of garments of clothing that they can't use. So they just end up just, they have nothing to do with them. So they burn them or they just throw them away and it ends up in their water and stuff. So it's just like so crazy how um, our choices of what we buy and then also where we send our trash is affecting other places and, and affecting us globally because then it goes into the the waters go straight into the ocean which once it's in the ocean it's a now a global problem and so it's not a it's not a haiti problem it's not a developing world problem so it's, it's a global problem and by and the other thing is like a clean water like we take it for granted like clean water we just we can go to a sink most areas and just get water or buy a water filter and get water in Haiti, so much of the plastic is comes from transporting water because they don't have clean water. So you solve like if Haiti had clean water, how much plastic bottles would we not see down there? How much plastic bags holding water would we have not seen down there? And so it's just like again, that systemic problem can't afford to get clean water, can't afford you're actually creating more trash by all the plastic having to transport, you know, water. So it's a it's a circular system that can either go in a good direction or a bad direction. Anyway. Really quick, for those who are listening, Ryan said plastic bottles and plastic bags. If, if you haven't been to Haiti or haven't seen, they'll actually put water in little plastic baggies, twist it up, and then sell those, right? They were selling them, right, as they little blue bags. Yep. And um, so for you, it's not just in they, – they use everything they can to get fresh water to people. So just a little visual. I'm so glad you brought up that, the Walmart of like clothing donations, because this is when you talk about a full circle, when you talk about people in their microclimates and staying in their lane of like their domain of competence, right? We're all trying to make our impact in the apparel industry. The plastic problem, we can't, we almost can't get wrapped up in because whoever's in that industry has to stay in their domain and focus on those things. Like a t-shirt guy is not going to change the plastic problem. I had a long conversation with this dude named Diggin' Dave. He's a big part of ThriftCon and the thrifting culture, which is really epic in terms of the exit problem that we have in the apparel industry. And we saw firsthand multiple containers get donated to Haiti and we saw where they end up and it's not a good viable solution. And so part of feel your impact as a maker is counterintuitive because your personal philosophy conflicts with your business decisions and the elephant in the room is the industry that we're in 
we're constantly pushing people to do more volume to get a price break. We're, we're incentivizing people to print more. And so that's your business mind, right? Like let's get the cost efficient for the client to feel your impact and your more personal philosophy is very anti that way of thinking. And that's where we, you know, I don't want to get in a rabbit hole about it, but really COVID and what we're, we're faced with is allowing technology to be more prevalent in our industry and help that problem. So like barrel maker, I'll call out for a good example is like they do all these fundraiser campaigns and they leverage technology to only produce the amount that's actually purchased instead of the old way of thinking with screen printing is you're pushing these brands. I'll do 5,000 pieces. Yeah. You may only sell 2000. You're going to sit on product. We just over, we just overcreated. Um, and we're part of the problem. So it's not just about changing your light bulbs in this industry. It's not about using water-based ink. It's about really getting goosebumps like I have right now about how passionate you can be to, to change the industry. And part of that is educating your customers into these issues and saying like, no, do a pre-sale campaign. Like let's not just think about price and, and yes, it's going to make us more money to, to produce more pieces, but be conscious about, the platform that you're selling in. And I think Shopify and WooCommerce and technology is really going to help push the envelope in terms of changing and breaking the cycle of the current, like just tricky place that we're in as screen printers where you're, you're trying to make your business survive, but you're also trying to adopt these policies that you know are important. And the two are completely opposite. They're counterintuitive. But if we can be aware of one side, and leverage technology to still make a profitable business, now you're winning on the money side and you're winning on the world evolution side too. And that's where purpose is. That's where purpose is made and that's where we all want to live, you know? Tangents, man. No, I Dude, think one of the things that I would add to that is that conflict, Dom, of like, we obviously want to sell more all-made shirts. Like, let's sell all-made shirts, as many as possible. And that's essentially creating more, you know, the first waste, if you look at lean manufacturing, the first waste is overproduction, like like you were saying. Because overproduction, like... Almade has never had that problem. No, We've never. Had We've never overproduced. Production. <laughs> well, I mean, initially we did have too much overproduction and it's wasteful. Yeah. It's, you know, because you have to store it and you have to transport it and you have to, you know, it could get thrown away. So it's very important to know that first of all, printing on demand, like you were saying is awesome. And then secondly, is like, we're, I'm not looking at it selling more shirts. I'm looking at it as replacing shirts. So if you can replace a good shirt that's made sustainably with sustainable fibers and uh, products that go into it with a bad shirt, the good shirt is going to be more valued. It's going to last longer. It's going to be worn more, which is also more sustainable. And so if you can, sell a better quality product that lasts longer. I mean, even if it's not environmentally friendly made, it's still more sustainable because people are going to not throw it away as, as quickly. Yeah, I agree, man. It's not like somebody, I think it was George here the other day said it like the most sustainable garment is the one that lasts the longest, you know? So it's, it's not about selling more an abundance of all made shirts. It's trying to, to replace the, the shirt that's not going to last very long or have a good story and also inspire other people to do it. I saw this commercial on TV with H&M saying that they're gonna be fully sustainable um, by like 2022. And they've been notoriously like the worst in terms of like making things 
bad. And I think the ripple effect of grassroots movements like Allmade are inspiring bigger conglomerate companies to adopt these. You talk about progress, man. You have a big dog like that that's that's going on this path. I mean, that's the best thing that we could ask for as sustainable apparel enthusiasts. You know, everybody's like rising up together to solve the issue, not just a little guy. Yeah, that was, I remember when we were discussing the feel your impact tagline and getting that all figured out. You guys were there. We all went to Seattle together. And that was one of the big things we talked about is as an apparel company, we wanted to raise the standards of the rest of the industry. So the standard isn't here anymore and we're, we're up here, but the, you know, the minimum standard raises to here. And then, you know, other companies can keep evolving that. But the standard for a t-shirt, the, the dollar t-shirt is so low. And, and we talk about this a lot, like the t-shirt that you leave the trade show and you put it in your hotel garbage can before you even get home from a trade show. It's just so ridiculous. And so, um, yeah, it's been fun to kind of like figure that out with you guys along the way. And even when we first started in Haiti, we didn't really think we were going to go down this super you know, recycled polyester route, like, you know, necessarily. And, and like Roger was a huge advocate for us learning more. And so it wasn't just about people, but about the planet. And so it's been exciting to evolve. And now with Sanmar, we can make even more sustainable products. Like 2021, we have more products launching. And it's so exciting because, you know, they can fully back us and, and um, help us create new products. So it's exciting. So speaking of like impact, we've been talking about impact. If you go to have you like go to our new impact calculator and uh, plug in like a recent order that you've recently done, and just tell me what you think about the biggest surprise number on the Allmade Impact Calculator to you. So like take your last order, plug it in, and tell me your from your perspective as a business owner, what's the biggest thing that stands out to you? Let me do that right now. I'm doing this right now. Yeah, do it. Tell me, tell me what number you put in so I can illustrate it on the screen too. Side sidebar. I really like how it like calculates and like goes. Yeah. Like the, we're up. doing this impact that video. I'll show you the clip, but it's awesome. Like, what's the impact of a hundred shirts? And it goes. Nice. You know, and it's like it's really cool to see that. Yeah, we were just talking about this the other day with the old impact calculator. Like, it's interesting to see. I think it gravitate towards the water bottles, you know, because that's like a physical thing. I, I think the water is important, but it doesn't really like pack a punch. But I just plugged in a thousand. Um, I'm interested for you to explain the CO2 because that's a new thing. CO2 reduced. Yeah, CO2 reduced. So we, we, we did an environmental – so the way we looked at it this time was we did an environmental uh, survey from cradle to grave. And so the CO2 reduced speaks to a couple different things that go into the shirt. One is the recycled plastic. Two is the amount of energy that the factories are using. Three is the transportation of the shirt. So you look at using recycled plastic versus oil, that's got a CO2 impact. You look at using an energy-efficient factory that uses king grass or solar, that's got a CO2 impact. You look at transporting a shirt from the U.S. to Honduras or Haiti back to the U.S. Um, versus going from China or going to India or Pakistan, that's got a CO2 impact. So rather than just saying like oil saved, we took a bigger approach. And then it is harder to relate like mm – -hmm what that is. So what, what's uh, the CO2 impact of a thousand shirts, Dom? So 720 kilograms. 
So 720? Yeah. 720 kilograms? Yes. So just to put that in perspective, the, that like a, a, a diesel truck burns that, uh, burns about 125 kilograms, I think it is, in a, in a, um, 125 kilograms is the equivalent of a truck driving for almost 700 miles. What? And so that, so take that by, that's like an average truck, you know, drives like 600 miles a day. So you're just taking that truck off the road by using a thousand all made shirts uh, for five, you know, 10 days. Um, and, And that's crazy to think about like the, the CO2 going into our, atmosphere and how big of an impact is bigger than the oil coming out of our ground because the oil coming out of our ground creates the CO2 that goes into our atmosphere. So it, at the end of the day, the biggest problem climate wise is that ozone. And um, that is impacted by all those things that make the t-shirt, not just the oil itself. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that feature that encapsulates so much more than just the crude oil, like, cause it's taken the whole thing. I always like, I always use that analogy too of, I said it wrong the other day, Elkatex. Elkatex? Yeah. That's okay, Dominique. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's just like, that's an exact, not to like throw anybody under the bus, like Real Dan or Schmanes or (laughs) Ranville, but just knowing that your stuff is done at a factory, like there's got to be some sort of measurement or threshold factored in to like a sustainably, um, like, yeah, just Elkatex is just amazing how they do that stuff. So I would, I would, I wanted to see a way that you could factor that into the total impact in the calculator, and that looks like it's doing a pretty good job of it. The biggest driver of that I was talking to the team that did the survey, and uh, the biggest driver of that is what goes into the garment. Still, at the end of the day, it's what goes into the garment and how we, how long the garment lasts, uh, are the two biggest drivers uh, in those versus transportation and versus manufacturing. Uh, pole. So by using recycled plastic is, is a huge driver in that whole thing. And then, um, so, but also making a good shirt that lasts a long time. What about you, Aaron? What uh, illustration did you use? I mean, I, I was really curious about the CO2, um, the CO2 number as well. So I noticed that, um, I mean, just, well, I know that cotton takes a lot more resources to, to produce a cotton shirt over like a recycled polyester shirt. And I think that that, um, I like toggling back and forth, you know, like my, my number that I put in was also a thousand shirts. So we could go, we could go smaller. We could go 500 shirts, um, toggling back and forth between cotton and Triblend on 500 shirts. Um, just water saved 161,690 gallons on a cotton shirt. And on a tri-blend shirt, that goes way that goes down to thirty-eight thousand gallons. But that's just because cotton takes the you know that much more water to produce. And I just some of those comparing the numbers and trying to kind of like um, understand the, the impact of each individual fiber content. I think is really is really really neat. And and understanding the CO two number as saying like we're comparing. Um, the factories that make all made shirts with other factories, right? Like that's how we're, we're understanding 
um, that, that CO2 emission as better, right? Because we're comparing it to somebody else in the industry who hasn't made a choice yet, right, to, to pay attention to that. So I, I just, I don't know, thinking about the numbers, um, that way is really interesting to me. I mean, it's always, you get past the initial stop of like, oh my gosh, 110 pounds of plastic bottles, like that's a ton, you know, 500 shirts. Like that's, you know, like you, after you're done patting yourself on the back for that, like really thinking about like um, what other decisions you could make, you know, being guided by these numbers is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you said about toggling from cotton to tri-blend because even if a sustainably made shirt like All Made or some of the other brands that are out there, because they are, um, I think it's cool to see this because then you know, well, just any tri-blend is better than cotton. Like I know a lot of people ask for cotton, but just knowing that a, a tri-blend in general or a 50-50 blend is going to be a better option is just, I think, really great for anyone selling t-shirts anywhere. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Well, Maybe, but maybe not. Because if you're like, like if you're not using a recycled plastic, you're if you're 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 using 110 pounds of plastic to make a normal tri-blend. So yeah, you save water by going with a tri-blend or a 50-50, but you're also using 110 pounds of oil. Like you're pulling a 110 pounds of oil out of the ground to make it stinking t-shirts, you know, 500 t-shirts versus using 110 pounds of recycled plastic. So I think that's where the recycle, if we're going to use plastic, we have to use recycled. Like just Amanda, like she brings me these things made out of polyester. And first of all, I'm like, nope. <laughs> then I look to see if it's recycled. And then, but most of the time it's not recycled. Like very rarely is it recycled. So it's just like, nope. Like we're not going to like, the kids got these blankets once and they were all this fluff was going everywhere. I'm like, you know, that's freaking plastic, right? That they're breathing in and is getting all over their face. And you bought this blanket for like $15. Like that's we're never going to buy that again. Like, cause yeah. it's just using, using more oil. Yeah. And it, and it's that it's just a, you know, like I think, I think that people want to do the right thing. You know, it's just that, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of education on these subjects, you know, like, I think our whole social fabric has like, kind of like a bye, 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 keep buying, like, you feel sad, let's buy some stuff, you know, kind of like built into it. And, you know, once you start, like, you know, really thinking about what you're buying, you know, that's maybe the key to kind of change all that. That's what I loved about quarantine was that you couldn't just go out and buy, buy, buy. But then people started realizing that like Amazon would start shipping in two days again. I mean, for a while it was seven days and everyone was like, no, but then it was like, okay, now I'm going to order even more and just have it delivered to my house and not drive my car to the store or whatnot. But it was, I feel, and we've talked to multiple people about this where just during this COVID time, you kind of just realize what's important. You can live with less and you can reuse what you already have. And as long as you have, you know, food and water, you're going to be okay. And um, so I think that's been super great the last few months for a little eye opener for everybody. Yeah, it was a major pause button. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. Y'all need to pause. Still is, I guess. Cool. Well, what words of advice do you have for shops uh, or consumers uh, that they can do to start being more, to have a bigger impact on the environment as we wrap up here? I mean, I would say, re, you know, do what you can yourself, but also reach out to like 
there's a ton of programs in every city that assist businesses with doing this because you may think you're doing all the right things, but they're going to hold, you know, these certification programs are really going to hold you accountable and not just have you do it for like, like for me, I'll get on something for a couple months and then be over it. You know, they're going to be instilling this stuff and checking in with you every six months to make sure that you're, you're not just making changes, like set it and forget it. You're constantly one-upping yourself. So if you really want to, you know, make small steps personally, but if you really want to like put a dent in it, try to get uh, an organization involved in coaching you through it, I think that's going to, it's going to do wonders for you for sure. That's great advice. That is good advice. That's good advice. Um, I think just, just, I think focusing on, on your next, like, your next best decision um, and the, and just being aware of the decisions that you make. That's really, I mean, that's really the key. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily like great advice. I don't think, because <laughs> I think it's hard to do. I think it, it, you have to kind of like stay humble and you have to stay aware. Um, uh, but it's really, it's really, it's really the way that we, our whole industry, um, needs to move forward because it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be sustainable for long um, at its current clip. So we we need to kind of like take people with us, you know, on this journey and being and being a person. Actually, this always reminds me of something that Ryan said. I, maybe it was in your book or maybe you said it. I don't know. But um, kind of like a commitment to um, be traveling somewhere um, somewhere better, right? Be traveling somewhere better and allow people to, to come along on the journey with you, you know, as much as they want to. And like, um, I, I just think that it, that allows all of us to stay humble. It gives us the flexibility to make our own decisions. It gives us the flexibility to lean on each other when we need it and to take each other's advice and to ask each other, you know, what the best next step is if we don't know. And I think that, you know, allows us all to continue moving to the better place, right? So. That was great advice. That was advice. Sorry, listen. Good word. Well said. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for just being a part of this conversation and being leaders in the industry, um, leading by example. And we're so proud to be friends with you guys and so fun to actually get to chit chat. What's the best way that people can reach out to you um, that are listening to this if they wanted to ask you guys more questions? Erin, you go first. Uh, yeah, uh, you can email me. I'm Erin, E-R-I-N, at barrelmakerprinting.com. Reach out to my travel assistant secretary, Ryan, at ryanmore.com. <laughs> uh, Dom at superiorinkprinting.com or shoot us a direct message on Instagram. I usually monitor those. Hey, do me a favor, go feel your impact. Okay, that's today's show. A big thank you to Dom Rosacci and Aaron Moore. As always, remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and join the movement on our social channels. That's at All Made Apparel. Don't forget to tune into our next episode where we sit down with the founder of Portland Gear, a massive brand in Portland, Oregon, that has encompassed what it means to bring a community together with a hat and a tee. And don't forget to feel your impact.